Hello everyone, welcome to the Modern Magi Podcast. This is your hosts, Tyler Fry and Misha Canyon. Um, we are back after a few weeks of a hiatus, just trying to figure out a few different things um, to improve the podcast for you all to, um, as of late. Um, but today we're going to be talking about a topic that kind of runs rampant all over the world. It's something that people don't even realize they struggle with. Um, today we are going to be talking about addiction. Um, the reason we, there are a few reasons why we have decided to talk about this. Um, the first reason is, is that's a really interesting topic. Like there's a lot of research done on addiction, but the truth of the matter is that people don't know why addiction happens. Well, that, and everyone's addicted to something. That's right. Right. Every, every single person that's listening to this, uh, is currently addicted to something. They can either be addictions that are helpful or addictions that are harmful. That being the case, I think, um, you know, we want to have kind of a uh, an interested conversation on on what addictions are, um, especially the negative addictions and uh, how we get addicted and uh, and hopefully some things that we can do to be free from some of those harmful addictions. That's right. That's right. That's a really good point, Meshach. Because um, if I think about before before I started doing research on addiction, I was like, oh, I'm not addicted to anything, but I found out that I like enjoy binge eating and that's an addiction in itself because i use that as a stress management so i don't that's right you know yeah yeah there's so many there's so many things and increasingly in the day in which we live the amount of things that you can be addicted to just keep on increasing that's right um so we we live in a day where uh, everything seems to be calling out to us to say um interact with me habitually and too often the unconscious answer is yes, I will. And we find ourselves doing things, scratching itches without even knowing that we're doing them. That's right. That's right. Um, so we've covered why. Why do people get addicted? Um, so what, what is an addiction? Well, like? we what? didn't cover why. We oh. just covered why we're talking about oh. addictions in general. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't, we'll, we'll get to why people get addicted later on, but... I, I guess we can talk about what addictions, uh, what is an addiction? What is it? Um, what's a common perception of addiction? So before you started doing research, if someone were to ask you, what's an addiction? What would you have said? You know, I would typically point to something harmful. I would say something like, oh, addiction is like not being able to put down drugs or pornography or food. I would say, oh, it's all negative things. But it turns out there's like some positive um addictions like working out as a form of positive addiction it can be it can be it also can be negative that's it right. depends on the reason behind uh, why what's motivating a person to work out mm. right I so that's about that it's it's interesting whenever you talk about addiction um the motivation plays an important factor in why the addiction is there right right um yeah so say say a little bit more about that yeah, so so the addiction, um, positive and negative addictions. Um, I think I think it's important to realize there are positive things. Like you know, someone might be addicted to work out because they want to be healthy mm-hmm. um, and look good, and then there could be underlying motivational factors underneath it. Someone may want to um, work out, get super fit, just so they can. Um, supply and addiction they have body image yes, problems or yes, something along yes. those lines and and they feel like 
unless I have a uh, a chiseled physique, um, I'm not worth anything. Right. Right. So that would be a negative form of an addiction that drives people to do uh, very much the same thing. So in in gyms across America, there are people there who are who have uh, healthy addictions. Uh, they're trying to maintain their health and, and physical wellness. And right alongside of them is someone that could have a negative addiction that's doing it because they feel like their worth is at stake. It's a very interesting uh, conundrum to think of how addictions manifest, right? Right. And there's even, um, there's a fact in the matter that the word addiction is thrown around so nonchalantly. Mm-hmm. Like the way that's used, people say, oh, I'm addicted to this piece of chocolate cake. Like they will just keep on eating at a party and say they're addicted. Mm-hmm. Well, in all reality, um, they have the ability to say no to that chocolate cake at the party. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is that addiction, um, you may have some sort of control over the addiction, but it's not going to be something that's going to be able to be put down such as like a piece of chocolate cake. Yeah, at, at least not with a uh, considerable amount of effort, right? Right. And, and that's when you really discover that you have an addiction is when you become aware and you try to stop and you realize I can't stop, right? Right. Um, it's it's that. That's one of the indications. There's a whole lot more. Um, but it might be important for us to, to provide a technical definition of addiction. Um, I've been reading a few books on the subject matter uh, just because I'm so interested in how this relates to uh, spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines. Um, Dr. Anna Lemke has a book called Dopamine Nation, which is um, just incredible. The definition she uses for addiction is um, the continued compulsive use of a drug or behavior despite harm to self and or others. Mm. So she clearly leans toward the negative uh, in that uh, definition. Right. I enjoy what she said and harm to others because I think most often when I think of addiction, I think of it as like a struggle that an individual would face on their own. Um, But the research that I've seen is that one way that it points to, you know, you have an addictive um, behavior or addiction to a substance um, is that you often face shame because of the addiction. You go out of your way to hide it which causes separation between the relationships around you. Right. And it causes you to be alone pretty much. Right. And and again, that would be if it's a if it's an addiction that's not accepted by society. That's right. If it is accepted, then we we lionize those people. For example, Michael Jordan was addicted to uh, the game of basketball and winning. We accept that. We value that. And so instead of shaming him because of it, we we create songs, be like Mike. But the fact of the matter is, he was addicted, right? And that addiction will play out in many different areas. He just had a way of um he just had a way of attaching it to something that society labeled as good. Um another another book I've been reading, or actually this is a podcast I've been listening to by a guy named Andrew Huberman. He says, addiction is a progressive narrowing of the things that bring you pleasure, and enlightenment is a progressive widening of the things that bring you pleasure. And I really like that definition because it it really, um, whether it's a good addiction or a bad addiction, um, it places, for me, it, gives a, it provides a definition uh, that helps me understand what's happening with an addiction. 
whenever someone is addicted to something, um, they're focused so intently on that thing because of what it's going to give them, right? So it, it narrows this, uh, uh, this, this understanding of what is pleasurable. You're focused on this small subset of things. Alcoholic addiction, I need alcohol in order to feel a certain way. Pornography, I need pornography in order to feel intimacy or whatever the case may be. Uh, video games, I need video games to, to do this. Books, uh, work, whatever the case may be. You look at that singular thing and you attach some sort of significance to it. And I also love the, uh, the reverse of that where he says enlightenment, enlightenment is, a prog- is a progressive widening of the things that bring you pleasure. Because then it's it's looking at more of a um, a well balanced approach to life, where you're able to um, appreciate the beauty and significance of everything, and uh, I mean in our line of work we would call that um, wholeness, right, or holiness, right. or something along those lines. That's that's really interesting because I was thinking about this morning that addiction um, is a way that we incorrectly seek wholeness. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, someone who, um, this is ultimately a side effect of being addicted to pornography. Those who are addicted to pornography have an inability to create long-lasting friendships with those of the opposite sex or just friendships in general because they get become so um, socially um, inept. Mm-hmm. So then... Um, because of that, they continue to turn to that addiction so they don't feel alone. Right, right. That's right. That's one of the, the impacts of it. You're aiming at one thing, um, and in some ways you get the thing that you're aiming for, but you also get the negative uh, aspects of it that you weren't um, looking for when you engage with that addiction. That's true of every every addiction, whether it's positive, whether it's viewed positively or negatively. There's going to be consequences that accompany uh, that addiction. If you are addicted to work, your family's going to suffer. If you're addicted to um, pornography, your relationships may suffer. If you're addicted to video games, uh, your study time may suffer. There's always a consequence that accompanies every addiction. That's right. That's right. Um, And even with addiction, um, you know, there becomes you know, your brain is changed. Those things that you're addicted to ultimately will become the most important thing Mm -hmm. um, to your, in your life. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is where I've really become interested in this subject, not, not just because of addiction, but in the last few decades and most recently, the last, probably in the last 10 or 15 years or so, um, science has kind of developed in such a way that uh, it's now providing data behind how addictions work, um, the areas of neuroplasticity. And for me, uh, my interest is, has really been piqued because what science is discovering about addictions, uh, dopamine, serotonin, all that stuff, and how it works with the body and how it works with behaviors, it matches up with what some of the uh, uh, spiritual giants have been saying for ages mm. in religion, right? Not only the Christian religion, but almost every religion values things like fasting, um, spending time in silence, um, and and all those sort of things. And now, neuroplasticity and and all these discoveries are really uh, being able to place data behind the wisdom of God that has been present in all of these things that we call. 
uh, disciplines for the spiritual life, we're able to now uh, to point and say, like, look what's happening in the brain when you do this. But if you were to do that, if you were to engage in uh, meditation, for example, something's happening in your brain at a chemical level. So I'm really interested to see how these studies continue to um, reveal the wisdom of God and to see what people who wouldn't necessarily engage in the spiritual discipline because they don't believe in God, now that they're seeing the wisdom of those disciplines, I'm interested to see how that changes um, the world in which we live. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I never thought about that way. Um, the fact that addictions will point to um, said in the past, that's really interesting, man. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Alongside that, what are like what are some other things that the church or just spiritual leaders have said about like addictions? Like, well, I mean, we we all know there's um, the the Bible's filled with, uh, I guess we call it advice or um, or warnings or things like that. Uh, to, for example, I'm thinking of of Paul's letters where he he says. Uh, uh, that we're supposed to walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. We're supposed to mind the things of the spirit and not the things of the flesh. Uh, we're not supposed to give ourselves over to the lusts of the flesh, uh, which are like sexual immorality, greed, mm-hmm. uh, theft, and all those those types of things. Um, and I think what's so great about that is they realized by not only by uh, faith but by experience that whenever a person gives themselves over to those things, it does have a profound effect on them. As James K.A. Smith says in his book, You Are What You Love, the things you do, do something to you. And now we're just discovering that they're doing something to us, not only at uh, the experiential level, but the reason they're doing something to us at the experiential and spiritual level Uh, One of the reasons, at least, is because something's happening in our brains at the chemical level. Uh, So, for instance, I I love the language they use of these uh, these highways that are in our brain. Right. The more often you do something, these neural networks are carved in your brain, making it easier for you to do it the next time until eventually it becomes reactive. The first time you do it, the reason it's difficult is because you're trying to figure it out. So the neurons are firing and, and the image I've been having in my mind is um, uh, suppose you're in the forest and you're trying to get from A to B. In order to get to, to B from A, you got to pull out your, uh, your knife or your, your butcher sword or whatever the case may be, your weed whacker, and just chop this path down in order to get where you're going. You get there. You're tired, right? The next day, you start over again, A to B. This time it's a little bit easier because you traveled that path the same uh, the day before. So you walk, maybe you pull out the butcher sword, you're carving it again. Eventually, you're going from A to B. You don't need to pull out the weed whacker. Mm -hmm. You've traveled it so many times that there's a well-worn path. And now to get there, you're just strolling along automatically with complete ease and you arrive at your destination. That's how addictions are formed, right? It's the continued uh, repetitive use of these things that eventually uh, lead us to this space where um, unconsciously we just find ourselves engaging in these actions or activities 
that promise and deliver some sort of a reward, but they also deliver a consequence that accompanies those rewards. Yeah, I appreciate that um, imagery that you used about getting to point A to point B. Um, I'm just going to clarify, you're talking, that's like addiction, like it's an easy way to get to point A to point B without putting in the actual work? Well, at first you do put in some sort of work. Right. Right? Any addiction requires some sort of work. I guess the illustration breaks down, uh, or it doesn't break down, but when we introduce the aspect of dopamine. Yes. That's where uh, it gets really complex. So um, if we were to use that same illustration and introduce dopamine, dopamine... um, you know, I, I learned this from Andrew Huberman. A lot of people talk about dopamine in terms in terms of a hit. You know, we say um, someone's doing that to get to give themselves a dopamine hit. Um, but he says dopamine is it's it's less of a hit and more like a motivator, right? Yeah. So in that illustration, if if the desired outcome is to get to B, dopamine would be the motivation. Uh, that a person has to get there. So maybe they're like, they're swinging the uh, the butcher sword without losing any energy. The dopamine is, is kind of empowering them to get to the place that they want to be. That's what dopamine does. And, you know, there's a study he talked about of a, um, a test that they did on rats. And, um, uh, you know, the rats were, or they're in a lab, the rats can uh, engage a lever and some food will be released. And so for a long time, people thought that um, receiving the food was the dopamine hit. But then they deprived a rat of dopamine and they gave another rat uh, a large amount of dopamine. The rat that was deprived of dopamine would no longer be motivated to pull the lever to receive the reward. Mm. So then that's when they started discovering dopamine isn't a hit. It's, It's less attached with the end result and it's more connected with the motivation to get to the end result and so the rat that has dopamine he's motivated he's gonna you know no matter what obstacles in his way he's gonna pull that lever yeah that's really interesting because with um with addiction the way where dopamine is um given out like the more you're addicted to something the harder it is for the um, dopamine hit to be fulfilled um, like for example, if you're addicted to drugs, it's just going to be shoot firing all over the place on those trails that you're speaking of. Mm-hmm. Um, and each time it's going to get filler and filler. So it's going to take more and more of the thing that you're addicted to right. before, um, it can even have effect. Right. And that's, that's because the, the level of dopamine, uh, we all are used to functioning with a certain level of dopamine. We need dopamine to, to wake, to wake up in the morning dopamine helps us do that to to go get some food to eat dopamine to be successful at work dopamine dopamine is involved in every aspect of our lives uh, in fact andrew huberman calls it the the uh, most uh, common currency um even before money before bitcoin before dogecoin or whatever the case may be or any kind of currency that's going to be invented dopamine since god created humanity has been the motivating factor uh, that enables people to do certain kinds of work, to explore, to create, to, uh, to innovate, uh, etc. And so since we all are functioning with a certain level of dopamine, he says, what happens when we're addicted to something, and especially when we use 
um, uh, something that um, uh, gives us large amounts of dopamine, right? We get this rush and we're used to functioning up here uh, at a very high level. Now, what happens is if someone is, let's say uh, the normal level of dopamine, I'm just gonna make up a number is 50, right? If you can measure it in that way. We all operate at 50, that's normal. At 50, um, dopamine allows you to enjoy things like a sunrise, uh, a walk with your, with your uh, spouse, uh, your children, the painting that your kids bring you, you know, the normal level of dopamine will lead you to experience rewards and those kind of things. But once a person begins uh, either using drugs or, um, and by drugs, we can include uh, pornography. We can include anything that gives you, I mean, it just stimulates you continuously. And you're, you're like, you go from 50 to 2000. Now, all of a sudden your baseline which is normally 50, gets elevated mm. to like maybe 200. When you drop back to 50, which is normal, your body's going to feel as if something's wrong. Wow. Because, yeah. Yeah, you're used to having this excited experience. And so now with sunrise, it's just, oh, gosh. And and your kids bring you a picture. Oh, my God. My life has has got to have more <laughs> meaning than this. That's the effect of it, right? Right. And that's really the disastrous part of uh, of how addictions change a person's life. It's true. It's true. It's it's almost as if the addiction will remove all sorts of work that you want to put in to get something done. Absolutely. For example, um, I don't know if I can call this um, an addiction, but I will scroll on Instagram just because there's these reels that you can watch. Mm-hmm. And I know. these reels have like, they're funny. There's informational ones. Um, I've run across a few like theological ones, so it's like boom. I don't have to read 600 pages in order to get a, a doctrine yeah, correct immediately. Immediately, and so when I'm now sitting down to read a book, or if I sit down to do anything like that, I'm like, this is so boring. Why am I not looking at Instagram right now? That's right, man. So that just that's the impact, right? It is. That's the impact. Uh, one one thing that uh, Huberman said, I think, is it, it's really. Um, Man, I just if if you're listening and you know you're interested in learning more about this, I would really encourage you to uh, to read up on what Andrew uh, Huberman has to say. His podcast is really helpful. Um, in fact, let me I, I have the quote somewhere. Let me find it real quick so I don't mess it up. Okay, here he goes. He said, "Pleasure is not a problem. Dopamine is not a problem. Too much pleasure experienced too often." without a prior requirement for effort in order to achieve that pleasure slash dopamine is terrible for us. It lowers our baseline level of dopamine and the potency of all experiences. Wow. So that's what the reels do, right? Is it's like the reward is immediate. I mean, remember back in the day when we had, um, and you may not remember this because you're, you're so much, well, you're not that much younger than, than I am, but it illustrates uh, the technological advancements that we've experienced. Do you remember having Encyclopedia Britannica's? Yes, I do actually. Yes. Okay. I remember if you wanted to look up elephants, here's the process. You look at the complete set. You find the E's. You pull the E uh, encyclopedia from the bookshelf. You open it. You flip through all the way. You, you make your way uh, past everything else that starts with E, past Earth, 
uh, past this. Maybe you get past elephants and you're looking at what energy is. So you have to flip back until you find what uh, the section on elephants. Then you have to read it. That process takes, it doesn't take a long time, but it requires effort. Do I really want to learn about about elephants, right? Right. Now what do you have to do? You just go on Google and search it. You know, that brings up an interesting point because I remember in fifth grade having to learn to look through encyclopedias. But at that point, Google was already introduced to us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the, like no, I'm just thinking, I'm like at an early age, I was learning um, this thing that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why would I use an encyclopedia right. when there's 10 computers in the library? Yeah, yeah. And, and so, and, you know, to be sure, using a computer is great. For sure. We just have to realize... Um, especially when it comes to addiction, we have to realize what it's doing to us. Um, we have to see the value, like the the dopamine. If we if we think the thought, the dopamine gives me the motivation to pursue this end result, then we have to actually place more value in the pursuit than getting to the end result. Because what we want isn't actually, um, in terms of uh, of the harmful addictions. The person that uses, uh, let's, let's we'll talk about pornography a little bit because that's a scourge of the earth, especially it for is. men, but increasingly uh, for women as well. The person that uses uh, pornography, um, they are a person that is looking for something, uh, sex, intimacy, love, or whatever, but they're attaching it to something that cannot deliver it. Right. They're attaching it to something that, Uh, has for the majority of human history been known as a perversion the fact that our culture currently no longer considers it a perversion shows the depths of how far we've fallen that's right um now the person who is uh engaging in the continuous use of pornography they're bypassing the normal effort that's required in engaging in a sexual act with somebody else, right? Right. Something happens to you during the process of pursuing another person. You become the kind of person, and we're pastors, you know, we, just to be, let's state it plainly, you know, marriage is a place for sexual relationships. That's right. Now, to get back to what I was saying, even there, or even if it's outside of marriage, there's something that happens. There's effort that's normally required if you're supposed to, if you wanted to have a sexual relationship with somebody and you become a certain kind of person, you learn how to um, approach someone else. You learn how to talk to them. You learn how to grow intimate with them. You learn how to have a deepened connection until you get to the point where that connection has become strong enough and the trust has become strong enough that you guys are, ready to have a sexual relationship. Pornography removes all that stuff. That's right. You go from, I want to have a sexual relationship. Let me watch someone else doing that. All right? Reward immediately. And yeah, and there's even, um, what's the word? Physical side effects of that addiction as well. That's like it's right. just not a mental thing. That's like right. everything else, like that addiction, like pornography shows a primary way in which addiction will wreck you holistically. Mm-hmm. Um, it will taint you spiritually. It will um, ruin your relationships with just about everyone. Because the the moment that you start becoming addicted to pornography, you stop caring about 
um, becoming friends with someone Mm -hmm. or, you know, forming a deepening relationship that will ultimately, um, in our case, lead to marriage. Mm -hmm. But you will only look at someone of the opposite sex as As a way, as an object. That's right. Yeah. It's, and, and some of the, some other side effects, um, a lot of men have experienced, um, erectile dysfunction at early ages. Um, a lot of men have experienced uh, just all kind of desires where they're not able to um, to experience that um, that erotic rush by viewing a normal uh, human being. They need to view a, a human being on a computer screen or something like that. So the neurological effects are really uh, they're really deep, you know. They're really deep and they do a lot of damage. And and a lot of people, before they started discovering some of the effects of pornography, a lot of doctors, because they didn't understand what these effects were, they started providing prescriptions for people. That's right. Oh, you're depressed. Take this. Oh, you just need to take that. You just need to do this. When all they really needed to do was say, uh, stop watching pornography. That's you right. Know? It's making you stupid. It's making you lose your... It, it makes you lose your memory. You it know really I mean? does because um, that addiction, um, your Im- your mind is filled with images that should not be there. It's filled with names of actors that mm-hmm. should not be there. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly making the decision of, oh, this is based off of, of a book, um, quit, quit Porn, Get Rich. I don't remember the name of the author. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says that like all of these things, these, this constant decision-making, the constant images that are flooding in your mind right. um, will ultimately just overtake you and you can't focus on anything it else. It changes your mind from, in, in, instead of being able to uh, view an image and hold on to that image, with pornography, you're just, you're flashing. You know, it's constantly new image, new image, new image. I think in that book they said the the average person stays on one site for maybe just seconds, you know? It's not like when we watch a movie and we're there for uh, the beginning, we're there for the middle, we're there for the end. We want to see how this thing develops. With pornography, it's like image, 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 and your brain starts to change into this thing that doesn't need to hold on to an image. It just needs to view it and let it go. View it and let it go. So the person that's been habitually viewing pornography, when they get to work, and now the boss says, hey, I need you to uh, look at this data and uh, uh, you know, give me an interpretation of all this data uh, tomorrow. They sit down at the desk, they look at the data, their brain does not know what to do with it because it's used to holding on to things for a millisecond and letting it go. Right. So it has a tremendous impact Um, A lot of people think that we're able to segment our lives, right? Here's my life at home. I can do whatever the heck I want to. Then there's my life at work. Well, too bad. We only have one spirit. We have one brain that we use with our one life. And so if you're destroying your life, you're destroying your brain over here, it's definitely going to have an impact in the rest of your life. That's right. That's right. That's really good, Meshach. I appreciate that. Like, I think... The fact, like, I don't know, addiction in pornography is like a hot button topic because um, on one side, people say porn isn't bad. Because I remember watching a TV show. Do you remember a show called Chuck? Did you ever watch that show? Chuck? Yes. Mm -hmm. So on the first episode, they're basically, it's a spy TV show. This nerd, like, gets this spy technology download. So he's like a super spy now. And I remember watching this show. And there's just so many jokes about pornography 
and like it just shows that's just a thing that's not even an issue yeah um yeah a a lot of people especially i mean that's that's the downside of the age we live in right it's it's become normal you know the whole definition of pornography um i i can't define it but i know it when i see it well i think we need to define it you know we we can no longer say i just know it when i see it Uh, and i understand a, a naked body does not equal pornography. That's right. But we have to be able to define it so that we can help people stay away from it, you know, because something can be porn. I mean, one of the things, these, these books that, uh, that I've been uh, reading in preparation for this podcast, they would place um, the habitual use of TikTok in the pornographic category. Yeah. Because it's doing the same thing on your in your brain. It's providing that... Uh, immediate release that immediate release that thing that you want the entertainment the laugh the this the that it's there immediately just swipe your finger and immediately you'll be there so the same thing the only problem with our society is that we've attached shame to pornography and thank god we did because many people that are addicted are then able to at least have something inside their mind that says i shouldn't be doing this but with tiktok and instagram and many other uh, uh, new innovations that are still socially acceptable, we don't have those same that shame that says we shouldn't be doing this. And so it's it's fine to have a world full filled with children uh, who have memory issues and anxiety issues and this and that uh, while spending an ungodly amount of time on devices right that are the dire- that are the direct cause of the issues that they're having, but we just keep on prescribing things. Uh, for them instead of dealing with the right, the main issue. Right, right. And note, there's nothing wrong with taking medicine for no, anxiety or depression. Of course not. Um, but, yeah, but we would say also, you know, like, if I have a problem with eating, um, there are things that I can probably do before I go and try to take medicine. That's right. And we need to be open to considering our behaviors that might be leading to uh, the way we feel to our depressive states before we just go and try to take a pill as a catch-all without feeling the requirement to change our behaviors. Right, right. We live in an addictive culture, and it's increasingly so, man. Uh, Dr. Anna Lemke, she said, we live in a world where we're saturated in dopamine and we live in a culture that encourages us to pursue it. There's big money in uh, encouraging people to pursue um, these dopamine rushes, right? Big people, so many people have gotten wealthy off of off of these things. I mean, look at the explosion of TikTok, Instagram. And let me, you know, full disclosure, I have an Instagram account. I have a TikTok account. There are incredibly funny videos on there. I love the thing I like about these uh, social media accounts is it cuts out the gatekeeper that says this is what it means to be funny. Now, anyone with a phone that's humorous can record themselves, put it up there and something that the gatekeeper might have said, that's not funny. Now the world is telling the gatekeepers you're wrong. You know, there's a lot of value Mm -hmm. uh, that you don't uh, think is valuable. So. For that, I, you know, I, I thank God for these uh, social media innovations. But along with them, it requires you, the way it's built, the, um, uh, what's it called? The, uh, um, 
algorithm? The algorithm. Um, yeah, I can't say yeah, that word. <laughs> thank you. The way the algorithm is built encourages you to keep on swiping. That's right. And I think the people that are going to learn to function well in this consumer age in which we live are those people who learn to put up these boundaries to say, I'm going to use TikTok for uh, 10 minutes and then I'm done. You know, I'm going to do this, especially, especially, and that's where the difference between like a pornography and because pornography is just something you shouldn't do. Right. Right. And I don't like to use the word shouldn't that often. Right. But you shouldn't kill people. You shouldn't use pornography. The effects are damaging and we don't need that in our society. You should use TikTok if you want to. For sure. You should use Instagram. There's a lot of good things on that as well. Um, but it's just like if I know that the continued use of something without the effort is damaging me, uh, then I should monitor how often I use that thing. Uh, I was thinking about this in terms of, you know, we're, we're about to enter the holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas. My wife makes um, she makes some really good uh, pumpkin pie, but she only makes it around Thanksgiving. When I have it around Thanksgiving, it's just as good as it was the previous Thanksgiving. But if I were to say, man, the the pumpkin pie you make is really good. Can you make it every single day? Eventually, I'd be like, what is this? You know, because because since I have it so often, I forget how valuable it is. Mm, right? right. And so. I create a healthy barrier in my own mind to not even ask her. Because if I ask her to make it, she's going to make it. But if I wait for it, then when I have it again, man, it's just all the memories flood back about how good this thing was. Because I've created a healthy barrier in my mind that says, I eat pumpkin pie around Thanksgiving. I don't eat it in the spring. I eat it around Thanksgiving. That's the season for it. That's why these seasons... They're built in. If you look back at the way culture was created, like these festivals, they're built in ways to help us enjoy life. There was a wisdom to it that we don't attach to the people that came before us. We like to think that our ancestors were stupid because they didn't discover electricity. But when we look at the way they managed life, there's incredible wisdom in the ways in which they went about life. They knew how to enable a person to live well. And I think we should... We should have that same approach in our um, in our dopamine uh, saturated culture is to set those boundaries because the person who knows how to set those boundaries and say, I'm going to enjoy this for this amount of time, then I'm going to cut it off. That person's going to be able to function well because they'll have the brain that enables them to live in the age in which we live. Wow, that's really that's really interesting. I've never thought about addiction or in that sense, that it kind of shortcuts what is valuable in yeah. this world. Yeah. Um, you know, having um, a family is valuable. Having a wife is valuable. Mm-hmm. Like everything, um, I feel bad, I keep on forgetting his name, but do you remember the author's name for uh, Quit, quit porn? porn and Get Rich? Yeah. Uh, no, I do not. But something that he says in this book is that his pornography addiction is ultimately what kept him from finding a wife or a girlfriend and having a family right away. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, like 
the holiday season it is so marked by consumerism. And His consum- name's Martin Prescott, by the way. Okay, Martin Prescott. Mm-hmm. Quit porn and get, get rich. rich. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the holiday season um, shows us a way in which our values have been undercut throughout the whole entire year, like you've been saying. Mm-hmm. Um, like I enjoy pumpkin pie a lot as well. And a family tradition that we do at my house is my dad used to work for Frisch's. So we get a Frisch's pumpkin pie every year. Mm-hmm. And it's really good, except if you do get it once a week, it loses its value. And that's what addiction does. Yeah, and th- and that value only changes in your mind. The pie still tastes the same. That's right. <laughs> you just had it every single week, right? And, th- and that's why it's good to have those, um, what's the old saying? Everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. That is profoundly true. And now we're just discovering uh, the science behind why that is true. The wisdom's been there for a long time. If you love something, don't do it all the time. You know, you like a show, don't watch it all the time. Um, There was a lot of wisdom in the whole idea of instead of binge watching, a show gets released once a week. Remember when shows were released once a week? I loved that. The anticipation. That's right. I remember in high school, my like excitement was based around a TV show that was released on Wednesdays. Yeah. I would work super hard in order to be able to watch it. I would be like, Wednesday's going to be my night where I can just chill and relax. And that was the same for college, too. Yeah. Um, this TV show called Arrow, I would stop watch. I would stop studying just so I can take a break for it. That's that comic book show, right? It is that comic yeah, book my show. Kids, I hate when my kids use my Netflix account to watch that. <laughs> hey, Netflix is recommending The Flash to me now and all this stuff. And I... I I, I like them, you know, but it's like, hey, use your account so you're not uh, ruining my uh, my recommendation list. Now Netflix thinks I'm some sort of person that's interested in documentaries, kung fu movies, uh, Arrow, um, action flicks. And every now and again, if my daughter watches something, it's just like something really colorful. <laughs> La La Loopsie or... Or uh, something along those lines, but never mind. That's a that's a diversion. Go ahead. <laughs> You're good, man. But yeah, like those those things. I think people will have this. I think this is showing another problem. We have such a hard time finding joy, mm-hmm. and the reason for that is is that we are so quickly to turn to things that are supposed to bring us joy over a long period of time rather than a short period of time. So they lose all their meaning. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anna Lemke talks about the role that pain plays Mm. in, in, in pleasure, you know, uh, and those things are related to one another. Pain, pain isn't a bad thing. It can be a bad thing, but pain, pain actually plays a very important role in life. If I put my hand on a hot stove, the pain is my best friend because it's the thing that immediately tells me, remove your hand from this hot stove. Mm. But in our society, pain is also something that we've tried to eliminate from our processes. So if I wake up and I'm feeling a little bit depressed, my society says I shouldn't feel that way, right? But maybe it's just something that it's life is a roller coaster. Sometimes I'll feel motivated and sometimes I won't feel motivated. And that's just a thing that I should realize. It's not an indication that I should uh, do something to eliminate uh, this feeling. Because what what TV especially suggests to us is we should always be motivated relentlessly. You should, 
the hustle culture we have, you should always wake up and hustle and grind and do this and do that. But when we look at how God created human beings, we are made to experience things like uh, motivation, yes, excitement, yes, joy, yes, sadness, grief, and even a certain amount of depression where we're dissatisfied with the way things are. And that's fine. We just Mm -hmm. learn to sit with it, knowing that our bodies are going through a certain cycle. Um, And so for a culture that wants to eliminate pain uh, completely, that's going to tip us way over into this pleasure portion. um, And eventually we'll find ourselves so numb uh, to pain, but also numb to pleasures. I think there's a part in, um, is it, I think it's Ephesians where the apostle Paul is talking about how uh, the Galatians, um, uh, what does he say? All right, I got to look it up. I don't want to misquote Paul. Here's what he said. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. This is Ephesians 4, that you must no longer live live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, listen to what he says. Having lost all sensitivity... They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned. So what he's saying is these Gentiles, they lost sensitivity. Therefore, they gave themselves over to sensuality. In other words, they can't feel anymore. Like think about someone with calluses on their hand. They can't feel. Mm -hmm. In order to feel something, you have to cut deeper and deeper and deeper to remove the calluses. That's what happens when people are given over to the pursuit of desire and pleasure relentlessly. Eventually, your capacity to feel normal things and get joy from from normal things, a sunrise, a walk, uh, ice cream with your family or this or that, that's gone. And now you need to experience that on steroids. I need to jump out of a plane just to feel joy. You know, it's a very harmful thing for a way to live your life. And increasingly, we no longer need to jump out of planes to experience that. We just need a phone. That's right. So we need a man. We need to be aware of that and manage that. Right. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy that you bring that up. Like I'm thinking I see Instagram pics of like nature and it looks absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. I go hiking. Do you want to know what I think? I'm like, this does not look like the Instagram pics. <laughs> Isn't that insane? It's so insane. Or, it's so much better gosh, than Instagram. Man, I know. I know. So the, so there's wisdom to this. And I actually think that this may be an opportunity, uh, not just for pastors, but especially for pastors to help people live well on these normal areas, mm-hmm. right? For us to say, thank God for human ingenuity and innovation Now, let me help you learn how to use this product that was created so it's not using you. Let me help you how to have a phone so it doesn't have you, how to have an Instagram account so it doesn't have you, how to have all these wonderful things and not be had by them. Because I think, you know, when we're had by these things, they stupefy us. Rather than, because the original thinking was, with all this innovation we have, um, it's going to make us even more innovative. 
But rather than like with the advent of social media, you know, I thought we'd have flying cars by now. I, I thought Same. we'd be out here like it's 2021. I thought we'd be like having a hoverboards, not the ones on wheels, but the ones from uh, Back to the Future, the yes. real hoverboards. But I think what has happened co- is that there's been a collective stupefaction of humanity to the degree of uh, let's just create more social media, more ways to entertain ourselves, not to push ourselves beyond. Let's pursue more pleasure rather than pursuing more innovation. Like, have you seen the progression of video games within the past 20 years? Like, we could be doing so much more. We should not have touchscreen phones. We should be solving things like world hunger. Like, that will only happen if we allow the, the dopamine that motivates us to motivate us in those areas Mm -hmm, that's right rather than to motivate us in um in more entertainment and thank god for entertainment yeah i love these open world games where it looks real love them but you know what i'd also love to uh to hear that someone has discovered this uh new kind of uh energy source that eliminates the need for um uh, for gasoline in cars and yeah, it's man, better for the it's better for our society and for our world. That's possible. But it's not going to be possible if we just use these motivating principles uh to stupefy us and to keep us at the level of saying uh keep on entertaining me. We've embraced ease as a way of life, you know. Uh, Anna Lemke, she also man, the book is really good, Dopamine Nation. You got to read it. But she says that most people's brains are not suited for the days in which we live. And what she means by that is the average person, especially here in America, has more leisure time today than the wealthiest person 100 years ago. Think about that. The poor person today has more time to relax than the wealthy person, the average wealthy person 100 years ago. And so we, so our brains aren't suited for that because... In our leisure time, we sit there, and what do we do? Entertain myself, mm. you know? And our brains are changing uh, to to being brains that are used to be entertained rather than having the kind of brains and bodies that will use that time to be creative and innovative and explorative and keep on uh, dragging humanity into a new era of discovering uh, the amazing capacity and possibilities that God has planted within us, you know? We're yet to discover. I don't even think we're, we've made it out of like the, f- the first stages of what God has um, built within humanity and what he's made us capable of doing. We, they're not even close, you know? But it's gonna take a different approach. It is. One of my favorite Denzel Washington quotes, um, he says, ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. Mm. So, we got to do hard things. That's right. And a hard thing might be, I'm only going to eat pumpkin pie around Thanksgiving. <laughs> For me, that's the hardest thing. Uh. So let's switch. We've been talking about this for a long time. Let's let's talk about some of the uh, ways in which people can be freed from addiction. Yeah. I've, I've been thinking about this a lot um, just because I know friends who are probably struggling with uh, pornography addiction. I know friends who are probably struggling with, um, you know, not being able to stop looking at Instagram reels. And I think um, the first thing that anyone can do um, 
is realizing that they can't do it on their own. Yeah. You can't you can't put down something as heavy as pornography without right. help. You have to have someone with you to keep you accountable. Um and you know, just having somebody with you helps you think of ways to rewire your mind. Yep. 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 I agree. That's that's um AA has been really instructive, not not only in the area of alcoholic addiction, but in all addiction. Number one, don't be ashamed. Shame will keep people will make people keep their addiction secret. And when it when an addic- when an addiction is kept secret, it becomes a monster. You think you're the only one, right? That's right. And whenever you think you're the only one doing something, um, man, it's going to have a disastrous impact on your life, and it's going to just have such a stranglehold on you. Um, but to not be ashamed and to find uh, an individual or a community that loves you and trusts you and just say to them, I have a problem with this thing. You know, I've, I've openly shared my addiction with pornography when I was in college, and it wasn't until I, I've realized, you know what, I shouldn't be doing this. And I built up the courage to tell my dad that all of a sudden I wasn't ashamed anymore. And I felt like I was like he set me on a pathway towards becoming the kind of person that wasn't gripped by it anymore. You know, but until I told him, it felt like a gorilla on my back, wanting to not do it, but then feeling like I got to do it. Um, And so I'd encourage any addiction out there. If you feel like it's creating a stranglehold on your life, find someone that loves you, find someone that you can trust and share it with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think alongside that, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this pastorally, but I think the best thing that we can do, um, or the thing that helped me get through a bunch of different things, whether it be anxiety or, um, you know, I, I will be honest, I, have, I am in a way addicted to f- binge eating and food. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that helped me realize is that this is not a um, forever thing that can keep me giving me comfort. Mm-hmm. Something that will ultimately help me through. Um, that will help me be liberated from this type of thing is Jesus Christ. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, the, um, that illustration I used earlier of the pathways, right? The the path from A to B, those neural networks in in a person's mind. I think realizing that those pathways can that have been well worn because of continuous use. They can start to grow brushes and thorns and all kind of obstructions again. Um, and by God's grace and the grace of Christian community and any other kind of community, really, new neural networks can be formed that help you travel down different paths. It'll take some work, uh, but it's possible. And as you said, I think having, um, I love Dallas Willard's formula. He calls it his VIM formula. V stands for vision, having a proper vision of what your life could be like. That's where Christ comes in. You have a vision of your life in the kingdom of God. I stands for intention, which simply means I intend to have that life. I'm deciding that this is the life for me. That life for me is done. This is the life for me. And then M stands for means. And the means, there's a a whole bunch of means. 
means of grace, means uh, that you can use to help you um, become the kind of person that you want to be. But it all starts with that vision. If you don't have a vision of your life being better than it currently is, then you will never, ever stop doing what you're doing. You need that captivating vision. And that's why for me, and I'm sure for you too, uh, being a pastor is important because I know that the best vision of life that I have is life as a disciple of Jesus Mm -hmm. in the kingdom of God. And so that helps me intend or decide I'm going to pursue that life. And then I can avail myself of all the means, prayer, uh, devotion, reading my Bible, uh, fasting every now and again, meeting with my own Christian community to uh, confess my sins, confess my struggles, and receive grace from them. Um, there's a there's a verse. It's not related to addiction, but I connect it to to this because I think it applies. In Psalm 84, it said, "Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart." are the highways to Zion. Mm. So if there were highways that led to debilitating addictions, when your strength is in God, he can implant new highways that lead to Zion, that lead to the kingdom of God. Amen, amen. And alongside that, I don't, God has given us the great gift of sciences and behavioral cognitive therapies. There are ways around this um, where you can apply seek professional help for this and i would i would commend anyone who does that as well like that's an incredibly hard step financially um absolutely letting people know you're doing it as well absolutely absolutely yeah it's all a gift from god and Mm -hmm. i like i said earlier um the whole the discoveries of neuroplasticity and and their link to spiritual disciplines um, I think they're going to be really helpful for humanity because for a world that increasingly doesn't believe in God, now that some scientist is saying, like, actually, there's there's value. Uh, I, I read one study on um, where they discovered that something happens in your frontal lobe, something positive happens in your frontal lobe when you tell the truth. Right. Right. For ages, religion has valued being truth tellers. Now science is discovering, hey, actually, there's actually a a positive uh, physical benefit to this as well. So it's like, uh, okay, duh. But now that science is discovering these things and they're connected, we can connect them to the wisdom of God for ages. I'm really interested in seeing how those discoveries change the way we approach life as human beings on Earth. I think it's going to eventually lead us back to God, you know, and and. Thanks be to God for that. Yeah, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Yeah, well, I think that's it, man. This I, this was a very uh, interesting conversation. Um, so I have a few recommendations because uh, Tyler and I are by no means experts on this. But if you want to learn more, we've mentioned a few names and a few books. One of them is uh, uh, this one focuses uh, particularly on pornography. It's called Think or not, not think, excuse me, uh, Quit Porn and Get Rich by Martin Prescott. Uh, another book that focuses on dopamine by Anna Lemke is called uh, Dopamine Nation. I'd also recommend the uh, Andrew Huberman uh, podcast and a book that I think was before its time, but 
it's worth revisiting now. In fact, uh, this year is the 20th anniversary of it. Uh, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. He deals with all of these issues as well from a spiritual disciplines uh, perspective. You, you have any recommendations? I the only the only recommendation I have would be Quit Poor and Get Rich. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, those are the only books that I've read mm-hmm. um, concerning addiction. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. There's one more. Uh, let me find it real quick. Anna Lemke actually. Um, I found out about this book because she refers to it uh, in her book called Dopamine Nation. And this was written by a um, a theology professor. It's called Addiction and Virtue. Um, And this is by, let's see, what's his name? Addiction and Virtue, Beyond the Models of Disease and Choice by Kent Dunnington. Um, I'm just in the opening stages of it, but it's a very helpful look and it'll be very helpful for pastors to read as well. So um, like Tyler said earlier, the most important thing is if you think you have an addiction, you know, seek help, talk to a trusted friend, family member, pastor, uh, psychologist, uh, some sort of clinician, psychiatrist, do not keep it a secret. But as soon as you open yourself up to reaching uh, to receiving help, you are on the path towards freedom and a better life. Um, As Anna Lemke says in her book, The people who were courageous enough to confront their addictions publicly, those are the heroes because they're going to show us how to live uh, in in an age that is tempting us to be addicted in every single conceivable way imaginable. Uh, So thank you so much for listening to this episode. It was pretty long, but do hope it was uh, beneficial to you. Um, Leave a comment on the website, uh, just modernmagi.com. Uh, forward slash podcast forward slash addiction. I think that's the name of this podcast episode is addiction. Uh, Leave an episode, ask questions, and we'll do our best to answer them. Until next time, I am Meshach Canyon, and I'm here with Tyler Fry. And uh, we are the Modern Magi hosts. Peace and goodness, guys. Peace, guys.